The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. and Jenny Frumer. This is your forum for exploring and discussing challenges that are faced by public and nonprofit leaders. And now, Leadership Matters. Good afternoon. Thank you so much for tuning into Leadership Matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. I'm John Janetta, and I bring you greetings from Heartland Family Service in Omaha, Nebraska, and Council Bluffs, Iowa, and I'll be your host for the hour. Today, we're going to be talking about leading systems change in child welfare privatization. And as our special guest to help us with this conversation, we have joining us Dave Newell, who is the president and CEO of the Nebraska Families Collaborative, also here in Omaha, Nebraska. We invite each of you in our listening audience to join us, join in on our conversation by calling 1-866-472-5790. Again, 1-866-472-5790. Or you can also email us by clicking on the email host button on our show's landing page right under the bookmark show link. So thanks so much for joining our show today, Dave. Of course, you know, we posted a brief description of who you are on the website, but perhaps we could start off by having you share a little bit more about who you are and how you got started working in the child welfare sector. Sure. Thanks for having me today, John. Um, I kind of uh, ended up in child welfare by accident, I'd have to say. I was originally intended to be a teacher, and I'd gone out to a little Eskimo village in Alaska uh, to finish out the school year for a teacher, and I very quickly learned that I did not want to be a teacher. And so I I, I went back to Anchorage, (laughs) and I had to rethink what I was going to do since I uh, had planned my career around being a teacher. And so a friend of mine uh, who worked in behavioral health thought that I would be a really good case manager. And so um, she encouraged me to um, uh, go in, and work for a company in Anchorage called Assets and it primarily served uh, people with developmental disabilities and people with uh, behavioral health needs. And I originally started as a case manager for adults with um, co-occurring disorders. And then uh, not long after being there, I switched to being a case manager for what was called back then the Alaska Youth Initiative, which was a wraparound program for kids with um, Uh, special needs in behavioral health. And so I started as a case manager there and um, found out that that was really kind of my calling and um, went up management ranks in Anchorage there, eventually went back and um, got my master's degree and became an executive director of a behavioral health company in Anchorage that was um, uh, uh, the largest uh, wraparound agency in Anchorage and did that for about seven years. And then I went to California and uh, went to a company there and um, was part of a merger uh, there with a company called EMQ Families First that became the largest child welfare agency on the West Coast, private one, and um, was uh, largely over the foster care and adoption programs in, in that agency as well as um, 
um, towards the end of the merger with the behavioral health programs there too, which included wraparound. So I did that um, for four years, and then I came to Omaha the three years ago uh, in September. It will be my three-year anniversary at Nebraska Families Collaborative, and um, so I've been here three years now. Wow. So that sounds um, like a fascinating background. Hello, everybody. This is Linda Shub. I've joined in as the co-host. Great. Welcome, Linda. Hi, Linda. Thank you, John. Hi. Thank um, you both. You so much. You just have a very interesting background. Well, thanks. Oh, and I, sh- I guess I should add, too, that my wife and I also were therapeutic foster parents and adoptive parents. And so in addition to my professional life, I also, on the child welfare side, had a personal connection, too. So um, four of our six kids were foster kids or adopted kids. And um, and so so four of our six um, are, are foster adopt and um, you know still very much involved in our lives too and so so I had a um, I've experienced the child welfare system too on a personal level as well. I'm glad you brought that out, Dave, because I, I remember reading that on your on your biography and thinking that you know that has to add a really um, helpful perspective for you in this role that you have now. Yeah, I think it it does. Um, one of the things that we um, that I we just had a leadership retreat at uh, NFC, and one of the things that I shared with the leadership group is uh, I went years ago to some CQI quality assurance uh, training, and the trainer said one of the most important quality assurance questions you could ask is, would you want one of your loved ones to be served by your agency? And if the answer is no. Uh, you need to go do something about that. <laughs> You've got work to do. <laughs> and, and I was, I, and I was uh, actually quite honestly sharing with our leadership team that while I think we, I, I, we have a very good agency, so I don't, wanna, I don't want this to sound negative, but um, the reality is I think that we still have uh, things that we need to do and things that we need to change where, um, um, you know, I'm still not feeling comfortable with the answer to that question, and that's not being critical of any of our staff or any of the good work that we're doing. But um, from a family perspective, I think we still have a long ways to go. And, sure. and, I, and I would say that's true of most child welfare agencies, you know. Yeah, I would say that of our agency as well, I think. And I think that actually motivates a lot of people who work here that we always see room for improvement and mm-hmm. that our clients deserve, always deserve better. Right. Um, you know, p- part of our focus, obviously a major part of our focus with the show is leadership. So before we start to get into the real meat of our discussion about child welfare privatization, I think um, it might be interesting for our listeners to get a little bit more, to know a little bit more about you, especially from that leadership perspective by having you an- answer this one question, Dave. Who would you see as a best example of a high impact leader and why? I, uh, you know, I'll give you an example of uh, someone that I knew at my previous agency in California. There's, there's a um, person by the name of Jerry Doyle, and he was um, a, a leader in uh, California child welfare for uh, really the length of his career. He recently retired. And the reason that I would use Jerry as an example is that um, he he was um, a leader who also had a very personal connection with the work. Um, he was he was highly passionate about it. I mean, and if, and if you talk to Jerry, he's a, he's an individual that you would you just 
kind of feel the passion rolling out of him on this kind of stuff. And um, he was very instrumental in transforming his agency at the time from primarily a uh, residential provider to a community-based provider. So one, he, he walked the talk and, and really kind of modeled that for the community. But he also saw the need for California's system to transform, transform more to a community-based orientation and was very uh, instrumental in getting legislation passed that help to fund and support first through a pilot project and through, then through statewide expansion, um, community-based behavioral health services for kids in California. And so um, for me, he's somebody who did it on an agency level. He did it on a policy level. He, he really kind of lived his uh, mission. And I think anybody who had contact with him, whether it was uh, an employee or a member of the community or a politician, um, Jerry became a leader that who people listened to, and um, and the children's behavioral health system in California is fundamentally different today <laughs> than you know than when, where he started. And so, I mean, Jerry would be one of those examples for me, anyway. That's great. I mean, it really um, sort of um, almost provides a roadmap of what you're trying to do with the Nebraska Families Collaborative. It is. I mean, I actually think about Jerry when when I'm having a bad day, <laughs> and, and thinking, well, gee, you know, can can we keep doing this and and uh, feeling the challenges and all those kind of things. And so, I think that there are people out there who are really heroes for the field, and um, and Jerry's just one of many. And I think that there are so many people. Um, I was having a conversation with somebody today that the the challenges associated with child welfare in the United States are so huge that it's really easy to to become overwhelmed by them and just to give up and and to walk away and so I think the challenge for all of us as leaders is um, while those challenges are huge, the fact of the matter is you know child welfare today. Uh, while there are setbacks and things are are not as good as we want them to be, I mean, the United States, as well as other countries, have made huge progress on the things that we're working on. And, uh, you know, think about what child welfare looked like 100 years ago in the United States. And um, we have to, I think we sometimes need to get that larger historical perspective so that we don't feel that, um, that this is all hopeless kind of work that we're doing. Yeah. You know, Dave, I didn't um, introduce Linda Schub, who's co-hosting with me today. She's the founder and senior consultant with Organizational Effectiveness Consultants in San Diego. So she's uh, a resident of California. Linda, I'd be interested to hear, how, how have you noticed the child welfare system changing in California, or have you? I don't know how much you, you work with that part of the... Well, uh, I am not uh, intimately involved uh, from either perspective with child welfare, but what I do notice and was reading something about has to do with the statistical analysis of some of the primary metrics. And at that point in time, I didn't focus in on those metrics, but I believe that the the article was referring to um, the fact that there's a lot better oversight while they're still understaffed. There are opportunities and oversight in terms of keeping track of the kids and some of the less positive stories that we heard, that we hear. 
And so that might be something that would be interesting for our listeners to join in and share some of their own personal experiences. I know that for a long time um, that was not considered in Southern California one of the better systems. And perhaps the uh, leadership of the gentleman that Dave was just mentioning is one of those factors that has truly changed the system and helped. So it would be interesting to look at some of the metrics. And I know it is it's it is very metrics driven, isn't it, Dave? In terms of this work, it is. And one of the areas where California is is very fortunate. Uh, you know, the challenges facing California compared to a state like Nebraska. You know, LA County just by itself has the largest child welfare system in the United States, and California is a county-based system. And um, but one of the one of the really nice resources that California has is they California also has actually one of the best um, uh, child welfare reporting mechanisms in the United States through uh, University of California Berkeley and so if you go to the UC Berkeley site you can see um, the child welfare data for the state of California and um, to, so to your question uh, John yes child welfare both on a state and national level is highly, highly driven by metrics. Um, a lot of those metrics are, um, depending on your viewpoint, controversial. And um, there's, so there's a variety of, of, of opinions around those metrics. And, um, and you have to be careful with them, just like you do with any kind of statistics. But one of the really thing, one of the things actually I miss most about California is the, um, the child welfare data that California has, because we don't really have an equivalent of that here in Nebraska. So, um, so while we have much of the same data as California does, so for example, all the, uh, all the 50 states have to report out on what's called the Child and Family Service Review data, which are federal metrics. And so Nebraska reports on that just like California does. The difference between the two states is that, um, unlike California, we don't have the resources to really go in and analyze the data. So much of this data is complex in how it's um, derived. And the UC Berkeley um, um, people are just a tremendous resource to child welfare leaders in California. And I, and I wish we had the same thing here. Well, yeah, I mean, that sounds like a tremendous resource. And of course, you know, the data, it's great to collect the data, but it's especially great when you can actually delve into it and help, help you use, have, have that data help you start to really look at what's going on so you can make adjustments and get to that higher level of service that you're wanting to provide for your clients. Absolutely. Well, and I think an important thing, I'm actually trying to look at some of the indicators on the internet that you just mentioned, but I think one of the things that we can't forget about, and I think often will make the difference in how a local child welfare system is run, has to do with the leadership and the attention paid to each one of those individual children. Because being uh, partly a statistician by my, oops, I hear music. It looks like we have to go to a break, uh, Linda and Dave, but um, Mm -hmm. when we get back, um, Linda, we'll have you finish that thought. And then, Dave, maybe we can um, jump into uh, um, talking about specifically uh, what the Nebraska Families Collaborative is and and what led to its creation. Okay, sure. So so please stay tuned, and we'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters, Informing Leaders, Inspiring Solutions.
it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Leadership Matters is brought to you by InnoVisions. Need to improve leadership, staff, or organization performance? Contact InnoVisions today for quality, effective, and affordable leadership, staff, and organization development training, coaching, and consulting services. Call 858-244-8264. That's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. G. Her email address is drg at InnoVisions.org. InnoVisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. What are the reasons that over three-quarters of small businesses fail within three years? Why do 70% of U.S. women-owned businesses make less than $50,000 a year? What causes mid-sized companies to stagnate? Although today many fundamentals of business remain the same, there are critical current changes that are not being acknowledged, and the result is costly. Tune in to Moving Forward with host Jen Sabin. We'll discuss the core reasons and plans of action to keep your business moving forward. Listen Wednesdays at 1 p.m. Eastern, 10 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Business. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. and Jenny Frumer. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to drg at innovations.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. Hello, we are back with more on Leadership Matters, bringing you greetings from Heartland Family Service in Omaha, Nebraska, and Council Bluffs, Iowa, and from Organizational Effectiveness Consultants in San Diego, California. I'm John Janetta, and thank you to my co-host, Linda Shu, for joining me today. With us, we have Dave Newell, who is the President and CEO of the Nebraska Families Collaborative. Uh, Dave, before we... Um, went to our break, we talked about, um, perhaps in this segment, um, you could tell us a little bit more about um, what the Nebraska Families Collaborative is and what led to its creation uh, a few years ago. Um, Linda, you had started to make a point before we went to commercial. Was there something more, though, that you wanted to say before Dave gets started? Um, Really only the point that sometimes metrics belie the experience that children have. Oh yes, you can't ignore um, that the qualitative that aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so Dave, what about the um, what is Nebraska Families Collaborative and and what led to its creation? Sure. So, um, in in 2008, and then really in 2009 is when this initiative started, and, and it was an initiative that was led by the Nebraska Department of Health and Human Services here, and um, it was in response to the belief, uh, at least within some stakeholders, but definitely within um, the leadership of the department, that um, doing uh, privatizing Nebraska's child welfare and juvenile justice services would uh, help move the state forward in improving its outcomes for children and families. And, um, and so what was done is that the, the state determined that they would... Um, do a request for proposals for 
lead agencies, and it was uh, loosely modeled off of states like um, uh, Kansas and Florida, who have largely privatized their systems. So it was modeled off of those systems, but very loosely modeled. And basically, um, the Nebraska Child Welfare Juvenile Justice System is divided into five regions. And... um, uh, Nebraska Families Collaborative is what's uh, called the eastern region is where we, we are, which is Douglas and Sarpy counties, which is re- basically the greater Omaha area. And uh, greater Omaha, Douglas and Sarpy counties have approximately 40% of the child population in the state of Nebraska. And, you know, not coincidentally, it's also about 40% of the child welfare juvenile justice population. And so, um, so a request was put out for proposals and um, a variety of agencies responded, and um, so uh, of um, of all, for the whole state, there were um, I, I guess originally then this I came in about a year after implementation. Uh, I believe there was originally six agencies selected. This, um, one of the six very quickly um, deselected themselves at the beginning of the process. So then there were five agencies. And then in, in Nebraska Families Collaborative's particular case, um, we were unusual as compared to the others in that we were created by uh, five local uh, Omaha agencies, uh, Heartland Family Service being one of those agencies, and the other four were uh, Omni Behavioral Health and uh, Nebraska Family Support Network, Child Saving Institute, and Boys Town. And those Five agencies created a member-based nonprofit, which is what we are. And so, essentially, the the partners are the members, the voting members. Our board of directors, incidentally, just changed, but that way we could probably talk about that later in the conversation. But back then, the board of directors was comprised of representatives of the five agencies, and um, and in regards to the Eastern Service area. Originally, back at that time, the Eastern Service Area was divided into um, um, three uh, contracts. One went to Nebraska Families Collaborative. The other one went to um, a company called Visinet. And the third went to uh, KVC, uh, which is out of Kansas. And so um, so our service area was divided into to three um uh, contracts with each contract serving a third of the population here. And currently, the ESA population is, um, as of this week, is 2,589 kids. And so, um, back then, that would have been divided three ways. And, and that's roughly what about 45 percent of the total population of children served in the system statewide. Would it's, you guess? It's, it's about 40 percent of the 40%. total population. Yep, about 40 percent. Yep. And um, and so that that happened. Um, so the transition to the private agencies began in 2009. And um, uh, then, unfortunately, this initiative was uh, fraught with many challenges. Um, a lot of the groundwork that had been done in other states, particularly like uh, as an example, Florida. Florida, in their example, they had a very well done implementation plan. Um, 
I don't know if everybody in Florida would agree with that, but from, from a Nebraska perspective, <laughs> I, I, think, I think it was a very well-done implementation plan where basically when uh, Florida moved in this direction, each, um, each jurisdiction in Florida had to have a, um, a, a pretty well-vetted plan before they were allowed to switch over to the private agencies. And there was, uh, there was legislation passed in Florida that enabled a lot of the work to happen. And, um, and then there was a timetable established with benchmarks that each jurisdiction had to meet in order to make that transition. In, in Nebraska, those things didn't happen. And so, um, so a couple things. One, Nebraska decided to transition all of the state at one time, which later proved to be highly problematic for a variety of reasons. Um, there was, uh, this was really an effort that came out of the executive branch. And so, um, there wasn't really, um, re- kind of regardless of your perspective, um, I think what most people would agree is that, um, um, there wasn't the buy-in from the judicial branch and from the um, legislative branch, and so, so for example, in Nebraska, there was no le- there was no enabling legislation passed in Nebraska uh, as compared to Florida, and so as a result of that, and because the implementation plan um, was was not very well done. Um, problems started to arise quickly. So, and you really kind of saw the precursor of it, like, like I said, uh, and this was before I was here, where the sixth agency pulled out before even, um, uh, initiating the contract. So, so there was your first warning sign. Then, um, another agency not far into the initiative, uh, also had to give notice because they weren't able to financially sustain, um, um, the initiative on their own because uh, with all these initiatives, which included Nebraska Families Collaborative, this was going to require the investment of uh, private dollars as well. And so, um, uh, so, so uh, one of the agencies over in Lincoln, they had to give notice and withdraw, withdrew, which then put a burden on the remaining lead agencies because one of the things in the contract was is if one lead agency um, was to withdraw, the the premise would be is that another lead agency would come in in their place, and so which is which is what happened in the Lincoln area, but then that put uh, considerable pressure on the remaining agencies, and then I started having contact with um, Nebraska. I, I remember this distinctly because my my first interview with the board was on my birthday. <laughs> and, uh, and so happy my, birthday to you! Yeah, happy birthday to me. So that was April twentieth of twenty ten. Was my first interview, and um, and at the time of my interview, the the um, the, um, the next lead agency that was about to get into trouble that was just hitting the news. Um, and that that company was Visinet, and they got in. They went into financial distress and had to close abruptly in in April of that year. And that was actually one of the reasons why my my interviews got delayed. Is um, the situation was so tenuous and so uncertain as to what was going to happen in Omaha or for that matter for the rest of the state that the board was looking at all this and trying to assess what do we do next. And so, so, um, and it didn't dissuade you from uh, applying for the position anyway. Um, well, actually, I didn't know how 
challenging things were when I initially oh. applied. But there's more to the story there, so I'll, I'll go to that in a second. So Visinet, okay. so Visinet failed. Well, so um, so so that initial interviews were in April. So that 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 actually is an interesting part of the story. So so uh, the initial interviews were in April, and. Uh, I heard back from the recruiter saying basically the board um, was putting everything on hold because they, they just weren't sure where things were going to go. So what I did is I, you know, Google alerts. I put Nebraska Families Collaborative in my Google's alert, and I put Nebraska Child Welfare in my Google's alert, and uh, I went on to other interviews. And I, so I started getting the Google alerts, and the Google alerts were coming in, it seemed at the time almost like on an hourly basis, and I would read one story and I go, "Wow, that's really bad." And <laughs> then I would read another story and I go, "Wow, I didn't think it could get worse, but it did." And so, um, so I actually became addicted to the Nebraska child welfare story. I'm actually thinking I'd, I'd moved on. I was interviewing other places. I had actually been offered a position uh, in in another city, and I was um, actively considering it. And um, uh, so time went by, and uh, I was actually going out for a final interview somewhere else, and I was recontacted by uh, NFC's recruiter and said, are you still available? And I said, well, I am, but I'm, I, I'm on my way to my final interview, and I think they're going to offer me the job, and if they do, I'm probably going to take it. And so uh, the recruiter said, well, if we can get you out there before this next interview, would you be willing to do that? And I said, sure. So I, <laughs> so I came I came out for um, my face-to-face interview here in Omaha and um, met the board. And um, uh, go ahead. Hey, we're going to take a we need to take a quick commercial break, but then we will be back to finish hearing this very very interesting story about uh, Nebraska Families Collaborative, what led up to its starting and uh, and your involvement in it. So um, uh, please stay tuned, and we'll be right back with more on leadership matters, informing leaders, inspiring solutions. the boardroom to you voice america business network leadership matters is brought to you by innovisions need to improve leadership staff or organization performance contact innovisions today for quality effective and affordable leadership staff and organization development training coaching and consulting services call 858-244-8264 that's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. G. Her email address is drg at innovisions.org. Innovisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. Did you know that at the root of every business problem lies a communication issue? Communication Nation, a show that brings effective business communication practices to the masses, addresses a number of topics and talking points that impact your professional development, as well as business productivity and profitability. Host Jill Schiffelbein makes the theoretical tangible. Tune in each Tuesday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Be ready to become a better communicator with Communication Nation. 
always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. and Jenny Frumer. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to drg at innovations.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. We are back with more on Leadership Matters, bringing you greetings from Heartland Family Service in Omaha, Nebraska, and Council Bluffs, Iowa, and from Organizational Effectiveness Consultants in San Diego, California. I'm John Janetta, and with me today, co-hosting, is Linda Schub. And joining us as our very special guest is Dave Newell, President and CEO of Nebraska Families Collaborative. So, Dave, you were telling us your very interesting story about uh, what led to the beginning of uh, Nebraska Families Collaborative and you to your position as the President and CEO. Sure. So, um, so I came to Omaha for the interview and uh, was interviewed by probably the majority of the board of directors um, for that. And um, I was I was um, actually tremendously impressed with the board members and what they were trying to do. And I knew from my earlier interview with them that philosophically kind of the things that were driving the four, five organizations. I, I think, you know, all five agencies really wanted to make a difference, um, both locally in Omaha and um, in the state as a whole, and really did want to, uh, well, they already are high-impact organizations, but wanted to be, uh, wanted to see NFC be a high-impact organization, too. And that really kind of came across in the interview. Um, and the board was also extremely honest with me about what a, Risky proposition uh, NFC was, and um, and of course I, I think they, they had no choice but to be honest because I was reading all the news accounts. It was it was pretty much all over. I mean, at that point things were hitting the national news, and so it wasn't just uh, covered locally; it was covered nationally. And so um, so I was offered the position and um, knew it was high risk and thought that it would be really a tremendous opportunity for me to learn. I never um, had an opportunity exactly like this one before, and really there aren't very many opportunities like uh, what Nebraska was offering at the time or the other states. And, um, and there aren't really, to my knowledge, uh, unless maybe one of our callers is out there, I know there are some other collaboratives out there. I've heard about them. I actually haven't had... Um, any contact with them. Um, so I know there are a couple other organizations nationally out there that are somewhat like us, but the fact of the matter is, is that we're a fairly rare breed. And so, um, so I never had that kind of opportunity either. So, so I said, yes, I started in September of 2010. And, um, at, at that point, there were, uh, three lead agencies left. And, um, so got to know those other organizations. Things had been set up. Uh, in such a way where the lead agencies were really um, um, pretty competitive with one another and had a fairly low level of trust with each other, and um, and so that was uh, that was an immediate challenge that I saw coming in, and then. Um, Another lead agency. Not long after I was uh, came here, I wanted 
say it was maybe about six months after coming here, um, that lead agency also financially failed. It might have been maybe a year. I can't remember. It's too long ago now. Uh, but anyway, six months to a year later, the, the third lead agency failed, which uh, left only two of us left. So um, the remain the majority of uh, the state geographically was served by that third agency. That went back into the public sector at the point where they failed. And then there were only two lead agencies left, which was NFC and uh, KBC. And at that point, what was your what was your area of responsibility? Were you totally responsible then for the Eastern Service area? So, so there was a progression that happened with that. So, um, uh, of, of the two contracts, KVC's contract was always the larger of the two. And uh, when the other lead agencies withdrew in in uh, the Lincoln area, that's called the Southeast Service area, KVC stepped in and uh, took over the contracts for all of the Southeast Service area, which is. The, the second largest um, service area for the state. And then KVC continued to serve one-third in Omaha. And then um, the Visinet one-third, when Visinet failed, actually went back to the public sector for a time, uh, over a year. And then we were able to work out an agreement with the department for the, the Visinet one-third to transfer over to NFC. And that was completed in December of 2011. And then um, in 2012, um, because of financial challenges associated with the contract, um, KVC decided that they would withdraw from the contract. And at the point where KVC withdrew, um, then one-third of um, – so their one-third transferred to NFC in the spring of uh, 2012, and then – the Southeast Service area where they were serving, then that went back to the public sector as well. And as so now all this, pretty much the whole state is covered by the public sector again, except for the Eastern Service area. Exactly. And so while all this is transpiring, there are there was a legislative investigation going on um, because uh, most of the stakeholders, well. I would say all of the stakeholders, with perhaps the exception of the lead agencies, were pretty distressed, and um, and so the um, there was a legislative investigation going on, and as a result of that investigation, um, there were a variety of child welfare reforms that were passed in both um, uh, 2012. And in uh, this year, too, 2013, our session just recently ended not long ago. And so um, in the 2012, one of the bills that passed, it, um, it basically legislated at that point that um, the remainder of the state out of, outside of the Eastern Service area had to remain in the public sector. And, it, then, and then the Eastern Service area with NFC could remain in effect as a pilot project. And so so NFC was recharacterized as a pilot at that point. And then uh, that bill, as well as others, did a variety of other uh, changes to the system. Um, there were uh, uh, a mandate for mandated uh, caseload sizes, which actually that had never really been a problem for NFC, but um, had been a problem uh, for the state and for other lead agencies. Um, so there, that was a change. There was a bill passed that um, required 
if you were going to be a private lead agency uh, in Nebraska, what the composition of the board would be. And uh, as far as I know, we are the only nonprofit in the state of Nebraska that is singled out for what our board composition is. And so um, as a result of that legislation, our board uh, composition changed to a majority being community representatives, and that happened in January. And, and by the way, even though that was legislated, um, I think that was actually a very positive change, not not because our board wasn't great before. It was, but I think it was another developmental step that NFC needed to make. And um, I think so the legislation just kind of uh, um, brought that to light. But anyway... Um, and has that integration of these new community board members been a smooth process, getting them up to speed? Because it's really complicated. It, it is really complicated. The the uh, yes, the community members who have um, come come on to our board. First of all, they're all tremendous people themselves, and um, all of them had been involved in one aspect or another of child welfare um, throughout from their various perspectives. So as an example, one of our board members is the former police chief for the Omaha Police Department. And so, you know, he he obviously had a perspective on children and families from from his professional background. And, um, you know, another board member had been a passionate child advocate for what's called Voices for Children here. And in fact, when, when I first arrived in Nebraska, she was one of the first people I met. And at that time, uh, for very good reasons, I would say, you know, she was adamantly against what the state was doing. And sure. um, and, I, and I think her reasons were very sound. And so, you know, I'm very excited that she's now serving on our board because I think that uh, She's just she's just a passionate child advocate, and so um, uh, so you know uh, um, so I, I, as far as background goes, I guess you have to put this that uh, the media attention was consistently negative. All these legislative investigations was were highly charged and very negative. Funding really wasn't sufficient for the initiative, and we could talk at length as to why that was the case. And so funding was a huge problem. And then as these other lead agencies, uh, uh, not when KVC withdrew, uh, they actually, I think, withdrew in a very professional, well-done kind of way. Um, but when some of these other organizations failed, that had a... Uh, that had a system, systemic impact in many other ways um, because, for example, one of the agencies, would, when they failed, they uh, hadn't paid many of their subcontractors. And so then that put the system under even greater stress and, and some small providers went out of business. Um, and as part of a backdrop, so with all these criticisms that were being pointed in different directions, uh, oftentimes, sometimes the criticisms would, could have equally been applied to NFC, but many times, uh, so for example, NFC never had a problem paying our subcontractors. So we're both a case management agency and we're a network manager. And so we have a network of 50 providers um, uh, that we work with. Um, there's never and you been don't really provide services directly. You just work with the network and then you have your, your care managers. Right. So we, so we have, um, we provide a very minimal amount of direct services. Some of us, so for example, NFC does our kinship care. Um, so that's basically, that's unlicensed foster care. So we do that. We have what we call, we have a, a handful of people of, of what we call personal support workers. And actually one of the many bills that were passed in 2012 also limited how much 
uh, how much uh, um, services a lead agency could do directly. And the law, I think, I think the law was 30%, but I, I and I can't remember off the top of my, my head what our percentage is, but it, our our percentage of direct service is a very small fraction of of our total services is, is um, almost all of our services, as you're saying, are are uh, done with subcontractors. And so, so you know, a major political issue back in 2012 as all this was transpiring is um, lots of agencies weren't getting paid. And so when I would go to a, a public meeting or meet with a senator or something, and they would say, well, you know, you guys don't pay your providers. And I would go, well, but NFC does. Uh, <laughs> so you had to differentiate. I had to differentiate, um, but at the same time have a collegial relationship with with the other lead agencies because I think when um, uh, we had to work together and um, going to being a high impact uh, organization um, I, I don't at least I guess my own view is I don't, I don't know how you can have high, high impact and be throwing your partners including other lead agencies uh, essentially under the bus under I think and so it, it it was challenging because um, each one of us was struggling with the issues that were presenting themselves to us in different ways. And then from a stakeholder standpoint, one of the things that I really came to appreciate when all of the Eastern Service area came under NFC, uh, when I first came in, you have to understand from a stakeholder standpoint what a what a horrible thing it was to have the jurisdiction broken up to three companies. And so if I'm, if I'm a teacher in um, the school district in Omaha uh, and a child goes into the child welfare system before when it was with the state, I knew who to call. When you had it divided up with uh, three agencies, um, you didn't know who to call. I can tell you from a, from the agency perspective, it was an issue too because now we're working with three different, we're contracting with three different lead agencies providing the same service, sometimes called different names, and it well, and with different billing procedures. It was unbelievable. Exactly. <laughs> I just got the cue. We're going to. We need to go to a commercial break. But when we get back, let's continue talking about what some of the. Um, some of the challenges are now for you, Dave, and uh, I think it'd be particularly interesting to hear about how you're partnering with the state who funds you and holds you accountable. So that we'll was going to be exactly stay- my question. So I yes, think that's please good. stay tuned, yeah. and we'll be right back with more on Leadership Matters, Informing Leaders, Inspiring Solutions. business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network leadership matters is brought to you by innovisions need to improve leadership staff or organization performance contact innovisions today for quality effective and affordable leadership staff and organization development training coaching and consulting services call 858-244-8264 that's 858-244-8264. Or send an email to Dr. G. Her email address is drg at innovisions.org. Innovisions is a social enterprise of the Neighborhood House Association of San Diego, California. Funds raised go to support the Neighborhood House Association's mission, developing children, families, and future leaders of our communities through empowerment, education, and wellness. 
The way we do banking today continues to evolve. No longer is it just brick and mortar locations or traditional bankers' hours. Today, banking is 24-7. It's in the home. It's on the go. It's digital. Tune in to Breaking Banks with Brett King for a look at how traditional banking as we know it has changed due to a loss of trust, changing economic conditions and consumer behavior, government involvement, and, of course, technology. What does it all mean? Listen every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll-free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. and Jenny Frumer. If you have a question or comment about today's program, please call 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. Or send an email to drg at innovations.org. Now, back to Leadership Matters. Hi, welcome back. Uh, We're back with more on Leadership Matters. I'm John Janetta, and co-hosting with me today is Linda Shube. And we have been enjoying a really interesting discussion with our special guest, Dave Newell, who is the president and CEO of Nebraska Families Collaborative. Just before we went to the break, um, Linda, you had a really great question for Dave. Yes. Um, Dave, I was just going to ask, I know that when, um, just based on my experience locally, when things have gone to privatization, it has created another layer of need to collaborate with the city, the county, the state. In this case, it would be the states. So how have the consortium of privatization groups dealt effectively with the state agencies that are responsible also? You know, I think one of the things that I've learned so much over the past three years is um, something that I knew before, but it it really kind of brought it to a whole new level of um, as you're as you're partnering with a public entity and going through such a transformational change is what we're talking about. You have to really pay attention to the uh, processes of grief, grief and loss, and so one of the things that I have over my desk. It's called the uh, phases of transition that anybody who's uh, familiar with grief and loss where, you know, you go from denial to resistance to exploration and re-engagement. And obviously different different um, people have different labels for that. Um, uh, I have that over my desk because I look at it every day. And uh, whenever um, we're about to introduce a major change to our staff, I pull this chart out, and uh, it puts all the staff into PTSD when I, when they when they see the phases of transition uh, chart. And um, on on the public sector side, uh, it's a it's a huge transition uh, for them because they they're moving from doing the work to monitoring the work, and uh, at least the work that we did. And so a, a couple things. I think rather than using the label privatization, it's, it's so much better to frame it as a public-private partnership is a better way of framing it. And it's not that the state goes away because they, they are very much um, a critical player in the work that they do. And so, for example, the state continues to do its investigatory role. Um, that was never uh, outsourced to any other entity. 
So, you know, the state, when, when it makes investigations, they're the ones who investigate. Um, our contract is set up as an um, unconditional care contract with a no-reject, no no-eject policy with it. And so, um, so the state determines which kids and families come to us. We can't reject them. We can't kick them out once they come in. And um, the state has a critical role in that. Um, there's been a huge evolution over the last several years as, um, you know, it's one thing to do the work and be used to doing the work, and it's another one to uh, switch to an oversight and monitoring um, process. And so uh, on the state end, there's been a huge learning curve for them as they move from, uh, at least as far as the case management component, which is what we do, from them to to move to from doing the work to moving to a monitoring thing, and I think that we've made huge progress on that, and um, and I think the state deserves a lot of credit for for moving in that direction, and I think that they are doing a much better job of monitoring us as they've learned and we've learned uh, to work together around that, and I um, we're actually seeing a lot of you know positive things happening, and so. Yeah, I was going to ask Dave, where, where, how are things? I mean, it's been quite a journey, and it was really bumpy at first, but there's been some stability now for a little while. How are things changing? So, uh, with the stability, the, the good news is well, we just did a leadership retreat at the end of last month, and uh, part of the leadership uh, retreat is that we presented data um, to the staff on uh, this, the leadership group. Uh, that was we called it. That was then, and this is now. And on many of the um, critical measures that we were, uh, let's say, not doing so well on a year ago, uh, we've made huge progress um, on many of them. And so on many of the measures, uh, what you saw was um, an almost straight line on a number of either going down. If, if it was down, was a desirable trend that you wanted to uh-huh. see. So as, as an example, uh, uh, we've reduced the number of kids in out-of-home care, as an example, and that's almost like a straight line down. And we we met all of our targets for this past year, as far as reducing the number of kids in out-of-home care. Um, that's fantastic. We met all of our um, targets on. Uh, we've been meeting our targets for an ongoing basis on required contacts with kids, which many states struggle with, and and uh, we've been hovering around 97% on uh, required contacts with kids. Um, we just recently met our adoption measure, the federal measure, and we've been making you know huge uh, progress. And in fact, on our, the adoption measure um, here again, that's public-private because uh, a lot of the work that's involved in meeting that adoption measure includes our the state, and so they have a role to play in that. But we also have three of our um, agencies in the network who are adoption agencies who are also, we have a special arrangement with them, an initiative around adoptions. And so we just recently met the federal measure on adoptions. And so we're really excited about that. And so that's actually uh, in um, March of this year, the uh, legislature, the HHS committee had to make a recommendation as to whether or not our pilot could continue. And so in April, they recommended that we should. And I think the reason that they did, among others, is that, you know, things are stabilizing. The partnership with the state is working. The other thing I would add to, the, you know, this, um, um, uh, that a nuance that adds to the public sector thing is there, there were also leadership changes on uh, on our partner side on the state side, 
And so just as with any relationship, so like, for example, the um, child welfare director who I started with, he uh, later left, and then there was an interim director who I worked with, and now we have a new director who I'm working with today. And as we all know, with any relationship, every time one of your major partners changes, then the relationship changes. And and so our latest child welfare director has been here a little bit over a year, and I, he came in as a change agent. And um, it, with, as with all relationships, um, there's been learning, uh, you know, on, on his side and on my side. And I think that um, I think we're working much better together now. Uh, than we were a year ago, and and you know I, I think most of us, if you're committed to a relationship, that's that's generally what you experience. Is hopefully as you as you work with people, you you start gaining better understanding of of one another and how to work together. And I think he did come in as a change agent, and I think that uh, um, he is trying to move the system in a positive direction, and we're trying to work with him as best we can to move and in that direction. Some real too. positive results from. All this work, you know, given um, all you've been through these last three years, Dave, would you do it again? <laughs> you know, I'm going to go out to Philadelphia. They are at the beginning stages of um, of uh, privatization in Philadelphia, and so I was invited out. I'm going out there in a couple weeks, and um, I'm uh, speaking to their provider association there. And I was sharing uh, with with the association person that I'm working with um, that I'm actually a little bit jealous of them uh, because um, I wish that I could, you know, kind of go back and um, redo some of these things. And so I'm, I'm jealous that they're at the beginning. Uh, I get to harvest your learning. <laughs> they're at the beginning stages. They, Although, you know, what I have they, to say it, is... It's been great having you on the show. We we have to draw it to a close. But before we do, could you very quickly give our listeners your email, your um, website address so that they can learn more about Nebraska Families Collaborative and the great work that you're doing? Absolutely. So it's nebraskafc.org. Thank you so much. It's been great having you on the show. Any last comments Thank from you, you Linda? No, thank you so much. Fabulous. Interesting to hear about all your leadership and collaboration. Keep up the great work, Dave. It's, it's just fantastic to hear, um, hear what you're doing, and I know that uh, the future bodes very positive, great things for you, for your organization, and for our state and the children that you serve. Thank you also to you, Linda Shub, my co-host, and thank you to our listening audience for turning in. Please join us every Wednesday, 2 p.m. Pacific Standard Time for Leadership Matters, Informing Leaders, Inspiring Solutions. Thank you again for tuning in. Leadership Matters with Dr. Cheryl G. and Jenny Frumer is broadcast live every Wednesday afternoon at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Have a wonderful week and make your leadership matter. Matter.